You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Glad, you, glad to see you. We're in a series uh, called Dual Connection. It's about 1 John. One of the big uh, values of Bayshore is teach the Bible uh, systematically, kind of go through sections of Scripture so you can know what the Bible's about. And so we teach the Bible publicly so you can read it in private and grow from it yourself. And uh, so uh, today we're looking, uh, we're, we're going to speak today on 1 John. Next, John. next week we'll finish up 1 John uh, and finish up Dual Connection. So today we're going to be talking about the tone of the book, what the book's tone is. And uh, I don't know if you ever heard this when you were growing up. You know, my parents used to say, say to me, Danny, watch your tone. You know, I had a tone sometimes. Some of you may have had a tone as well. But this book has a tone. Um, there's a sense in which this book is presented. And it's uh, to get an example of that, we'll read 1 John uh, chapter 2, verse 15 through 7, where John writes, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. So when you think about this book, this book is written by the Apostle John, the same guy that wrote the Gospel of John. Uh, scholars are pretty sure of that, and it's a really interesting book. But this is the guy that walked with Jesus, and um, he was the one disciple at the cross when Jesus was being crucified. And uh, he saw Jesus firsthand being crucified. He ate with Jesus beforehand. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, the Bible says that Jesus appeared to the apostles and gave many convincing proofs for 40 days. So this John, he, he knows this is real. He knows it's real. He has witnessed it. He's the eyewitness. First Peter, Peter uh, was his companion. Peter said, we were eyewitnesses of the Lord's majesty. So when you think about the uh, tone of this book of 1 John, it's a tone of authority. He's not writing to kind of like dialogue with them and let's kind of see what you think and what you think and let's get a consensus together. That's not the tone of much of the New Testament. Much of the New Testament, the tone is authoritative, meaning that these people that we read in the Gospels and the New Testament are people that saw Jesus they saw it. They were eyewitnesses of these things. And so when they spoke, they spoke with authority. They spoke with authority. So we're not asking, we're not hearing in this book, you know, kind of like a, kind of a meandering, kind of like philosophical conversation. We're hearing something very, very clear and authoritative. So the book is authoritative. Uh, and it speaks with authority. And it says when this little section I read to you, just for example, do not love anything in the world. The word love there is, it's, that's a verb. And it's in the imperative sense in the Greek. Now, New Testament is written in Greek, Koine Greek, common Greek. And so each verb has a, has a mood to it. And the mood in this particular uh, uh, verb is a, uh, the imperative mood. Which means he's given a command. He's saying, do not love the world. He's not saying, hey, you should consider this. 
He's speaking with authority. He's speaking with authority. So that's important when you think about this. Um, in the book of uh, 1 John, the word command is used 14 times. Little, little book, five, five chapters. And we have the word command or commands used uh, 14 times. Let me give you an example. 1 John 2, 3 through 8. We know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But anyone who obeys, there's another word, anyone who obeys his word, loves, love for God is truly made complete in them. And then verse 7, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've heard from the beginning. The old command is the message you've heard, yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because darkness has passed away and the light, true light is already shining. Verse chapter 3 of 1 John, dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands. And this is the command to believe in the name of the Son of Jesus, Jesus Christ, but to love one another as he commanded. The one who keeps his commands lives in him. Chapter 4, uh, verse 21, and he has given us this command. So you get the idea that John is writing with authority. He's writing with authority. He's giving commands. Now that's important when we think about our relationship with the Lord, our relationship with the Lord is not a democracy. It's not like, hey, you know, Lord, you know, let's kind of kick some things around here. The Lord has authority in our life. When you come to uh, receive the Lord as, your, as, a, as a Christian, here's the way you get into the kingdom of God. Um, Romans 10, 9, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So the prescription for salvation is to identify Jesus as Lord of your life as you begin your Christian life. So I think we've been sort of thought, taught like, you know, accept Jesus as your Savior and like, uh, you know, kind of get your feet wet. And then somewhere down the line, you can make Jesus Lord of your life. But that's not New Testament. New Testament says you come into the kingdom by identifying Jesus as your king and as your Lord. How many know that when you pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, thy kingdom come. Well, the kingdom has a king. And the king doesn't give suggestions. The king gives commands. So our relationship with the Lord is based on recognizing his authority in our life. Now, I don't write checks anymore. Anybody write checks? I don't think anybody hardly writes checks anymore. I got my debit card, you know. You just like slide that card around, you know. You know, you don't write checks, but occasionally you have to write a check. And, uh, you know, what? the good thing about not writing checks anymore, I, you know, you don't have to bounce a checkbook. I mean, it's just, just don't think about that. A lot, some people still do that. Good for you. But, uh, <laughs> but when you write a check, here's how, it, how you come to the Lord. You sign the check, and you don't fill in the amount. You slide the check across to the Lord, and you let him fill in the amount. You sign saying, Lord, whatever you want me to do. When I was in Bible college, you know, my plan was to come back and work with my dad in his church, be the assistant pastor, youth pastor. And my senior year, I'm home on Christmas vacation. I'm at a New Year's Eve, uh, Christmas Eve uh, service, and, or uh, not a Christmas Eve service, but a New Year's Eve service, and the Holy Spirit started speaking to me. 
And the Holy Spirit said, you are not supposed to come back here. And that was my plan. I said, well, Lord, that's my plan. I'm planning on finishing in May and I'm coming back to Delaware. I'm coming back to Laurel. That's where I'm going to come. But the Lord vetoed that decision. And he's Lord. He can do that. He has the prerogative to do that. Jesus is Lord of your life. That's why the word command in the scriptures and the word obey is very, very important because it's recognizing the fact that Jesus has the final say in your life. He has the final authority. Now, in my life, I'm not, you know, that whole word authority sticks in my throat a little bit. You know, I was a little bit of a, a wild guy and, you know, didn't listen to my parents. I never kept curfew. I was always in arguments with my dad about how long my hair was going to be. That turned out to be a moot point. But anyhow, <laughs> back in the 70s, you know, when I was in high school, you wouldn't have long hair. You know, my dad believed in being saved and shaved. You know, it was like one of those things. So I had trouble with authority, trouble with authority. And uh, there's something deep inside all of us that we reject authority. We reject authority. Something deep inside of us. I was going into uh, Sun and Surf uh, Theater years ago, long, long time ago. It breaks my heart they turned, tore down Sun and Surf uh, Theater in Ocean City or Femic Island. It just breaks my heart because that's where I saw, you know, Back to the Future 1. And I have a lot of memories in that, in that uh, theater. And they tore it down. They're building a bunch of condos or whatever. But I was going in there one time, Karen and I, to see a movie, and I had some, uh, I had my new uh, Dunkin' Donut coffee going in the movies, and some kid, 17 years old, acne on his face, greasy hair, he says to me, you can't take that coffee in there. You know, that, that did something to me. There was something that awakened in my spirit when he said that. And I have a t-shirt that says, never stand between me and my coffee. I have a t-shirt that says that. But, you know, I was, I really, that really bothered me. And I like, you know, arguing and Karen slapping me beside the head, you know, quit arguing. It's the rules. And there's something in all of us that we have trouble with authority. Someone telling us, no, that's a hard thing to hear. We don't like to hear that. Americans particularly don't like to hear that. We don't like to hear anybody telling us no. You watch the game today. Karen's at the uh, Ravens game today watching them play the Lions, and we should have a prayer for the Ravens today. They're going to need it, I think. But uh, anyhow, you watch those games, and you watch those, those defenders. Those defenders, they're, uh, you know, the pass defenders, they're hanging on to the jerseys of those pass receivers. I mean, they're dragging, they're on their knees, they're being drugged, and they're hanging on to the jerseys, and some of them are riding piggyback, got their hands in the man's helmet, and then they throw a penalty flag, and then they like, what the world, you know, you know they're all, you know, like surprised they did something wrong, rejecting authority. This is why I like football. In football, the... Uh, the referee, he has the final say. It's his say. And that's about the only place it works in our culture. But that guy has the final say. We have trouble with authority. Why? Well, it started way back in Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, chapter 3. God made the garden of Eden, this beautiful garden. Put beautiful trees and said, Adam, you can eat of all these trees. But one tree in the middle of the garden. He commanded, it says in the text, he commanded he commanded Adam, you must not eat of that tree. And then the devil comes up and the devil says, you know, with serpent, serpent form of the devil, he says, you know, did God really say? And then Eve saw that it was good and Eve 
took of the tree, knowing she knew, even though she was not there originally, Adam had explained to her what was the plan. They wanted to eat of that tree. And then what happened was Eve crossed the line knowing what God had said, and she disobeyed. And Adam's standing there like a dumb ox. He was there with her. He just ate the fruit. And that was the beginning of rebellion against authority. Authority was started in the Garden of Eden with God being the ultimate authority. And then from there, Adam sinned and we got the rebellious nature of Adam in our heart. We're born resisting authority. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 13, all authority is given by God. All authority has been established by God. The school teacher that's teaching in the school classroom has authority over those students. And how many teachers today are feeling like worn out because children are raised today not to respect authority? And the principal has authority. And the policemen on the streets have authority. I love policemen. I believe policemen do the will of the Lord. We need them to keep order. Now, there are some, sometimes things go wrong and there are some bad situations. But how many know in the main, these policemen that are in our community are serving this community and we need to honor them because what's happening in our culture is a breakdown of recognition of authority. The Bible says in the last days that there, the, the world would be filled with lawlessness. Lawlessness is nobody respecting authority. Nobody respects anybody's authority. We argue against all authority, but authority has been established by the Lord. So there are three authority sources that we need to recognize in our life as Christians. The first authority source is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, let me read you an example of this. The Holy Spirit. It says this in Acts 8, 29. Remember, Acts 8, 29 is when uh, Philip, the, uh, the deacon, turned evangelist. He goes to Samaria to preach the gospel. And because there's been persecution in Jerusalem and uh, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, so the church is scattered everywhere. And so what happens is that Philip goes to Samaria and begins to preach, and the crowds hear Philip preaching. The crowds. There are thousands of people that are responding to the gospel. People are finding Christ. People are being baptized. People are being healed. People are being exercised from their evil spirits. This is an exciting time. There's no more exciting place to be than Samaria. And then the Lord said, I want you to leave Samaria and I want you to go to the desert road, Gaza, by the way, where the war is right now. Go to Gaza and I have a man there for you to minister to. How many know that God loves people, just not crowds? God loves individuals. Preachers are all hung up on how big their crowd is, how big their church is, and we're counting nickels and noses all the time. Let me tell you something. God cares about you personally. And if you're here today in this crowd, you feel like nobody knows what's going on in my life. You're here. God loves you. He cares about you, and he knows your detail. So Philip left the crowd, and he went down to this desert road. And look what it says, Acts 8, 29. The Spirit told Philip. The Spirit didn't ask Philip. The Spirit told Philip. The Spirit told Philip to go to that chariot and stay near it. And it says, verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot. 
So the Holy Spirit has authority in our life. Whatever the Holy Spirit says to you is the same thing that Jesus would say to you. It says in John 16, Jesus preparing the disciples for the coming of the Holy Spirit. He said, when the Spirit comes, whatever he hears from me, he will say to you. So whenever the Holy Spirit says something to me, it's the same thing as Jesus saying something to me. Because God the Father is eternal. He is God. God the Son, Jesus, he is God. He's eternal. The Holy Spirit is God and he's eternal. We read about the Holy Spirit in Genesis chapter 1, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, over the darkness, over the chaos. The Holy Spirit has always been, always been, just like the Father's always been. The Holy Spirit has authority in my life. So when the Holy Spirit taps me on the shoulder, I need to obey him. He doesn't, he doesn't appeal to me. He doesn't say, hey, I want you to consider this. The Holy Spirit says, do this. And you're supposed to do it as a believer. When I was uh, a few weeks ago, Karen and I were at the Outer Banks on vacation, and we got back on Saturday, and uh, I was off, didn't preach, and so I thought, I'm just going to ride my bike and, and uh, pray. That day, I rode 25 miles from Georgetown, the, uh, uh, the Georgetown Lewis Trail, and then Breakwater Trail into Rehoboth. But I've got my bike on my bike rack and, and my truck, and I'm going through Georgetown and turned by the DMV, and now we got all these roundabouts in Sussex County. It's like living in England. It's cool. you got these roundabouts, and there's one or two on that street. And I go around this roundabout, and I pass this little church plant, this little church plant, Discovery Church in Georgetown. And I know the pastor, Kurt, Curtis, wonderful, Curtis Jones, wonderful young man. And I rode by there. And as I'm riding by there, the Holy Spirit said, stop, go in there and pray for Curtis. And you know what I said? I said, Lord, look at me. I'm like, oh, I don't, I'm not dressed up. I mean, I don't even know if Curtis is there. And, uh, you know, I got my bike clothes on. I don't look very good. He said, well, you don't look very good anyhow. Just, you know, you're fine. Just go in there. I said, I don't know how to get in there. It's embarrassing. I mean, it's awkward. I don't like awkward. I'm not an awkward guy. I don't like awkward. So I turned, I mean, it was compelling. And I pulled my truck in there and I go up to the door. I see one door, open the door and there's the office right next to me. And there's Curtis Jones in there and his wife, Amy, and their kids are laying on the couch and Curtis's dad's in there, big family working on the ministry together. And I looked at Curtis, I looked at Amy and I thought, boy, it gave me deja vu of Karen and I when we were young, like they were starting out and this wonderful family, their kids are there sleeping on the couch, like our kids were involved in our ministry. And Curtis said, what are you doing here? I said, well, I want to pray for you. So we got together in that little office. I put my arms around Amy, put my arms around Curtis, and, and uh, the kids stayed sleeping on the couch. And, and I prayed for the Lord to bless that, that church, that church plant. Bless Curtis Jones. Bless Discovery Church. And we just had a, boy, the Lord showed up. It was just powerful, and it was encouraging to that young couple. And then I said, Curtis, show me your church. I want to see your church, what you've done with this warehouse. And he took me around. He was so proud. Of his, of his auditorium and his children's area. And I, I mean, they had done a wonderful job. And I said, Curtis, you have done a wonderful job. This is amazing what you've done in the couple years you've been here. And I was thinking how important that was to me when I was his age for somebody to come in and say, you're doing a good job. And I left with my heart full. I left with my heart full. And I hope he's encouraged. I hope he had a good service. 
You know, you can't help another person without helping yourself. And I wanted to invest in it. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. The Spirit said to me, we obey the Spirit when the Spirit tells us to do something. The plumber came to our house this week, and we had to have a new tank put in, some kind of tanks leaking, and he got to have it fixed. And he brought three people with him, and they took them all day to put this one tank in. I'm really worried about the bill, but before they got started, uh, Jeff, the guy owning the company, he said to me, oh, I, got a, I got something on my kidney. They think maybe it's cancer. And... Uh, I, I, I was started to say, Jeff, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you. Put you on my prayer list. And the Lord stopped me from saying that. He said, I want you to pray for him right now. Pray for him right now. And I said, Jeff, you mind if I pray for you right now? And I climbed down there, got my garage, my garage. And I said, we're going to pray for you right now. And his two, his two Philistine heathen helpers took their hats off. And I laid hands on him and prayed for him. And we prayed for the Lord to bless the surgeon and heal him and work in his life. And I tell you what, the Holy Spirit was in my garage. How many know the Holy Spirit just doesn't happen in church? The Holy Spirit happens in the workplace. The Holy Spirit happens in the marketplace. The Holy Spirit happens where you're living and operating. I'm hoping he'll reflect on that when he writes the bill that I prayed for him, but uh, <laughs> one never knows. You know, if you, uh, if you ride horses, when I grew up, I had a, I, our family had quarter horses. We weren't rich, but we had some land and we had some horses, and, and I never rode English. I always rode Western. And if you ride Western, how you direct the horses, if it's not a well-trained horse, you take the rein and you pull the horse's head around in the direction you want it to go. But if you have a horse that's well-trained and it's neck, neck rein trained, when the horse feels the leather touching its neck, it turns in the opposite direction. The Holy Spirit wants to be the one who is master of our life and when he touches our spirit, when he touches us and guides us, we quickly respond. The Bible says the, Philip, the Spirit told Philip to go join himself to the chariot. And what does it say? Then Philip ran up to the chariot. When the Lord tells you to do something, don't dilly-dally around. Do it right away. The longer you say no, the longer you're resistant, the longer it's going to be or the harder it's going to be to say no to the prompting of the Spirit. So the first authority in our life is the Spirit. The second authority is God's Word, of course. God's Word. There is a crisis in America. There's a crisis in the church. The crisis in the church is not about human sexuality. It's not about values. The, the crisis in the American church is the authority of God's Word. When we believe that God's word is true, which I believe God's word is true, the more I study God's word, the more I read God's word, the more I read the Bible, the more confidence I have in it. The more confidence I have in it. The more I read about archaeology and the things that have been discovered, the more confidence I have in God's word. The more I read about the context of how the word was created, the more confidence I have in God's word. And uh, R.C. Sproul, a number of years ago, 
He, a uh, great, great Bible teacher, he passed away a few years ago, but he had this, uh, R.C. Sproul, brilliant guy, incredible mind. Uh, he, uh, he had a colleague that had gone to higher level training, F PhD and all that in Germany and all that sophisticated study that you do in your theological pursuits. And this uh, guy came to uh, R.C., I think they were having lunch together, and he said to R.C., I still love Jesus, but I don't believe the Bible anymore. I still love Jesus, but I don't believe the Bible anymore. And R.C. Sproul said to him, R.C. Sproul, who is more, and more trained and more educated than this guy, he said, well, if that's the case, how is Jesus Lord of your life if you don't believe in the Bible? In other words, what R.C. was saying is you cannot divorce Jesus being Lord of your life and applying God's word to your life. Applying God's word to your life is how Jesus becomes Lord of your life. So when you read the New Testament and he talks to you about your attitude and he talks to you about forgiveness, he talks to you about how you handle your wealth. When you read the New Testament, you are seeing how to become, make Jesus Lord of your life. So you just can't say in a service, Lord, be Lord of my life and divorce yourself from the Bible. That's why churches need to preach God's word. You know, we've had our season of topical preaching. We've had our seasons of seeker sensitive. We've had our season of all that. That season has come to an end. This is a season where we need to begin to grow in our faith and to win our neighbors to the Lord and to come to faith in the Lord where we believe his word is authoritative in our life. God's word has final authority in my life. His final authority, if you're a follower of Jesus, his final authority in your life. Here's what it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed. That means inspired. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. Notice rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All scripture, and when he's speaking about this, when he's writing 2 Timothy, he's probably speaking about the Septuagint. He's probably speaking about the Old Testament because the New Testament hasn't been canonized yet. So the Old Testament has authority in our life as well. Now, some of the things that they did in the Old Testament are types and shadows. But did you know that there are 278 direct quotations from the Old Testament and the New Testament? So Paul is writing to Timothy and saying, listen, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 1 Kings, it's all inspired by God. And then you got the New Testament. Listen to this. Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 through 16, bear in mind that our Lord's patient means salvation. Peter's writing about why hadn't Jesus come back yet, and he's trying to encourage people. Just as our dear brother Paul, so Peter talks about Paul who wrote a third of the New Testament. Peter wrote, or Paul wrote a third of the New Testament. Um, and bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul wrote, wrote you about the wisdom God gave him. He writes the same, Peter writing about Paul, he writes the same in all of his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do other scriptures as they do other scriptures. Why is that important? Well, what Peter's writing, he's saying the Old Testament is inspired by God. And he says, Paul's writing is also scripture. So already in Peter's day, already in the New Testament era, 
already is Peter and the other apostles recognizing Paul's writings as authoritative and scriptural. So everything in the New Testament is inspired by God. Inspired by God. Uh, wonderful thing. So when I read the New Testament, the New Testament has authority in my life. And uh, my son Joel and I were talking last night about a really controversial issue in our church right now, and not in our church, but in church general. And uh, we were talking about some of the different pastors and how they've been processing that. And I said to Joel, you know, you know, when you try to straddle, straddle truth, and you don't want to offend anybody, it takes a lot of energy. But when you're willing to recognize that the scriptures are not that ambiguous, they're very clear about certain things. And when we live that out with the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit helping us, is it easy? No, it's not easy. But the Holy Spirit helps us and Jesus becomes Lord in our life. Many of you heard me tell the story about the hunchback prince, which uh, John Ogilvie told a number of years ago, the U.S. Uh, chaplain Senate. John Ogilvie tells about the uh, hunchback prince, the myth of the hunchback prince, that he had this terrible deformity and he was ashamed that he was deformed. And he knew he was one day going to be king, and he was, de he was deformed, and he was ashamed. And so he had the, uh, the court make him a statue of himself standing completely erect and straight. And the hunchback prince, every, every day, would get up to that, that statue, and he would try to straighten himself week after week, month after month, year after year, until one day he could feel cold marble touching his shoulder blades. He has straightened himself out. And when you read the Bible and I read the Bible, we see what Jesus is like. And we see what we're like. And the difference between the illustration of the hunchback prince by self-effort straightening himself out, we read it, we, we obey the Lord and the Holy Spirit helps us to be conformed into the image of Jesus. And that's an important part of our Christian life. The Bible has authority, and uh, that's an that's a important part of our, our, our journey with the Lord. So as you study the Bible, as you read the Bible, you've got the authority of the Spirit. You've got the authority of God's Word. And then finally, the most controversial part is you've got the authority of human instruments that God uses in your life, that God uses people. God uses leaders in our life. God uses people that are used by God to present authority in our life, to challenge us, to encourage us. If I'm a good pastor, I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to love on you. I'm going to help you. But if I'm a good pastor and our pastor's on staff, if we're good pastors, not only are we going to love on you, but we're going to give you admonition when you need it. And that's important for us to remember that. Here's the thing about authority. Because we've seen bad authority, we have opted for no authority. And the church as society needs authority to be respected. And I wrote this down, ecclesiastical authority. Ecclesiastical means church authority. Ecclesiastical authority must be focused on the benefit of the person under authority, not on the person holding the authority. So anybody that has authority must use that authority to protect and nurture and help grow the people that they are responsible for. If authority is based on a person's ego... If authority is based on a person's need to control things, the authority becomes corrupt. But if you have authority that's pure and loving toward people, that authority is incredibly powerful. 
So I think we need to ask the Lord to begin to help us with our attitude toward authority, to begin to help us with our attitude toward the people that we work under, to help us with the policemen on our streets that need our support, to help us with how we respond to all authority. I've got a you know, a thing that I have to watch out for. There's certain things I have to, you know, that, that rub against me. And I have to say, listen, I need to respect authority. Authority is not a bad thing if it's pure and it's not about the person, but it's about serving other people. So what I see happening in the modern church is this. In fact, let me read this verse to you. Hebrews 13, 17. Whoever wrote Hebrews is writing to the spiritual community of his day. And he writes in Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Obey your leaders. Obey your leaders. When, some, when God gives somebody spiritual authority, in our life, God delegates authority, human authority, to speak into our lives sometimes to help us. I got this, uh, this is a, a, a state policeman's um, badge. It's Derek Cathel. He gave it to me last night. Uh, I texted him. I said, hey, you got an extra badge I can use for my sermon? He said, yeah, yeah, I'll drop one by. And I said, do I have full authority to arrest and do all kinds of things with this? And he said, not so much, but there you go. You can use this today. It's got the troop number on here, and this is what Derek takes to court with him. If you're, stand, you're driving down the road, and you see a policeman with a badge, and he's standing there directing traffic, and he tells you to stop, you have to stop, not because of this badge, but because everything that's behind the badge. That behind the badge, you've got the whole state of, the De state of Delaware, You've got the government behind this person who's been designated by God to keep order and protect people. And so we need to begin to honor. And I'm just, uh, I just think it's important that we begin to have an honoring attitude toward people in our life and let this lawlessness that's everywhere in society, in every avenue, every arena, we need to begin to begin to have a different attitude about that. Um, so here's the thing. The thing about the modern church is, and the church that we are a part of, the modern church is really big on customer service. And I want you to know, I believe in customer service. I'm big on customer service. I talk to our staff. I says, somebody emails you, somebody calls you, you call them back right away. We want to serve people. When you check your children in on Sunday morning, we want to make sure that we got those kiosks running. Sometimes they don't run right. We have problems. We know that happens. But we want to like get the children checked in right so that when you leave, you leave with the right child. We think that's important. <laughs> somebody called me the other Monday night. And they've been a mix-up on a funeral about who was supposed to do the funeral. This is Monday night. I'm sitting out reading, and the guy said, listen, I'm just so upset. The guy who was supposed to do my funeral aren't going to do it. And he's loosely connected to Bayshore. And he said, well, you do the funeral tomorrow morning of my mother. And I, I'm, I, I said to him, listen, I do not know your mother. And I know that to do a good funeral, you have to do a good eulogy. And I said, listen, I, I'll do anything to serve you. But I, I don't know. I don't know how I can do if I'm going to do a good job. And uh, 
So I, and I did it, and I don't think it's my best one ever, but I was there to serve. We're, they're here to serve people. We serve people. And I said a lot of nice things about that lady, and I, I believe they were true. I believe they were true. <laughs> I'm sure they were. She's wonderful. She was a wonderful lady, by the way. But service is important. The other day when I was riding my bike, I went to the egg for breakfast, and I always go to the egg in, uh, in Rehoboth. I love their breakfasts there, and there was a bunch of people there waiting to get in, and they let me, uh, they, they said, do you mind sitting in the corner by yourself? I said, I'll sit anywhere. You know, they put me right in there, and, uh, and I ordered the egg Benedict. I always loved the egg Benedict, and, and, uh, and I accidentally ordered the uh, Eastern Shore egg Benedict that's made of crab meat, and uh, it came... And I thought, oh, I messed up. I, didn't, I meant the regular Egg Benedict. And, and, and so I took a bite of it just to see what it was like. And uh, it wasn't for me. And uh, she came back and said, everything okay? I said, everything's okay. I said, but I made a mistake. I ordered, I meant to order the regular Egg Benedict. She grabbed that plate. And, uh, and she came back and like flash had the new thing there. I loved it. Customer service. This sermon today is brought to you by the Egg of Rehoboth, Delaware. <laughs> customer service and we are doing it but the church is not just about customer service the church is in the kingdom of God and there's a king that rules over the church and his name is Jesus and he's delegated authority in his church sometimes we have to admonish and make decisions that are difficult and instead of like running from a church that doesn't give us the customer service we want, when we have the authority of spiritual leadership imposed, we've got to begin to embrace the principle that this is part of God's kingdom. And for me, I was 22 years old. I was at Liberty Baba College working on my, uh, my degree to go into ministry, and I just got started and we had to have these student ministries that you had to have a number of student ministries to get credit to graduate. And so I jumped right on that. And I got this student ministry where I was a minister in this halfway house, uh, downtown Pensacola, Florida. And that meant when the guys got out of the Scamby County Jail, they would come to the halfway house and they could work during the day and come back there at night as they transitioned into, into society. And I, was, I led a Bible study there. And it wasn't good, I mean, but I was loving it. I was loving it, getting to teach the Bible, getting to disciple these, uh, these guys coming out of prison. And I did it, and I, I went, I was faithful to it. And then my overseer at the Bible College, Don Luce, called me in his office, and he said, Danny, he said, you and Karen just newly married. You're new to the Bible College. We want you to give up this ministry, lay this ministry down, and we want you to get in a small group so you can meet other couples and you can grow in your faith. And I bristled up. Hair went on the back of my neck. I said, Brother Don, this is my ministry. I'm doing this. I love it. I'm going there. I want to do this. I want to do this. And this is something I want to do. I don't want to give this up. He took his glasses off. He looked at me across his desk. And he said, Danny, you'll never be a leader until you learn to follow. You'll never be a leader until you learn to follow. And if I had not submitted to Don Luce, 
I would not be here. I would not be here. I would not have any authority because you have to be under authority to have authority. You have to be under leadership to be a leader. When I was uh, in the Outer Banks the other week with my family, the house next to us, they flew kites all day long. They had them tethered to their to their railing and you could look up from the pool and see those kites all day long flying there. You know, a kite soars because there's restraint on it. And the restraint on the string is what makes the kite soar. And it's the spiritual person who listens to instruction and leadership that God gives authority. You say, Pastor Danny, you know, I'm going to submit to leadership. I'm going to submit to leadership as soon as I find perfect leadership. Well, there's no such thing as perfect leadership. The Bible says in, in Luke chapter 2 that Jesus, they, Mary and Joseph lost Jesus on that, on that trip to Jerusalem. And he was 12 years old, going there for his bar mitzvah. And they lost Jesus, which had to be horrifying. And when they finally found him, you know, they, he said, I had to be in my father's house about my father's business. And then it says, he went back to Nazareth and he submitted himself to them. And he grew in wisdom and stature and fear of God and man. Were Joseph and Mary perfect leaders? The perfect son of God under imperfect leaders submitted to their leadership and God exalted him and promoted him. Three authorities in your life, the authority of the Spirit, the authority of the Word, and the authority of spiritual leaders in your life. Would you lift your hands to the Lord right now? Let's let the Lord just minister to us. Father, we boldly pray against the spirit of lawlessness in our culture, rebellion against authority, the chaos that's everywhere on the streets, chaos that's in our cities, chaos that's in our schools, chaos that's in our homes, chaos that's even in our churches because we don't respect divine authority. All authority has been established by you, Lord. God, we've seen it abused. We've seen it misused. And Lord, forgive us for throwing it away because of the negatives. Help us to know how to operate in divine authority so you can help us to grow up to become all that we're meant to be. We pray for the spirit of the Lord to move on us this week. I pray that people in this congregation will hear the Lord speak to them this week when they're going around. Uh, let, your, let your spirit give them missions to encourage people, speak to people. Let the Holy Spirit speak to us like he spoke to Philip. Let us be active in the ministry this week. Everybody in this congregation this week, use us, speak to us so we can make a difference. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. 
You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.